Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Redestine tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Friday edition of Outkick, the coverage, and wherever you are across the country. A lot of interesting action last night, but ultimately it all boiled down to this, particularly in the NBA. Did you or did you not believe that your team was capable of winning a game that they had to win, or did you not? And then on top of whatever you believed, did your team, deep within their heart, believe it was capable for them to win the games as well? Let's start with the NBA, and let let, let me explain what I mean. On the first game of the series, the Toronto Raptors had almost complete control of the game against LeBron James Cavs, and then they collapsed late. That was personified perfectly by all of the missed shots to end regulation by the Raptors. It was hit again when DeMar DeRozan kicked the ball out to Fred Flippin Van Vliet for a winning three-pointer. The Raptors lost by one point in the opening game of their series against the Cavs, But more importantly, LeBron James continued to establish his dominance over the Toronto Raptors. The idea that the Raptors were the better team may well have taken root in the Raptors' hearts and minds if they had won game one. And certainly it might have happened if they had been able to take control early in game two and not immediately fade away and only be up a couple of points at the end of the half. But my God, the Toronto Raptors are so clearly psychologically beaten right now by LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers that this is going to end up being probably a sweep. 
And if you are a Toronto Raptors fan, I think you just have to throw up your hand and say, this team as presently constituted, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan is never worthy of paying attention to again. They are not going to be good enough as long as they're going up against LeBron. Now, maybe LeBron will go to Houston in the offseason. Maybe he'll decide to go to L.A. And instead of actually slaying their demons by taking up arms and beating them head-to-head, which is how most teams that have a history of losing are able to eventually get past the other team that kind of owns them, maybe that's the way that this Raptors team can someday be relevant in that respect. But this is one of the weakest performances I have seen in a very long time from a team that is supposed to be the best in the conference. And it's not just happening right now between the Raptors and the Cavs either. The same storyline is playing out between the 76ers and the Celtics. Right now, I believe, I saw uh, one of my buddies tweet this, and I can't even remember which one it was. The 76ers are something like 2-16, I believe, in their last 18 games against the Boston Celtics. Yes, the process was trusted. Yes, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are very good young players. But right now, they are falling victim to the Boston Celtics' mindset that the control that the Celtics have over their minds and their belief they're not going to be able to get this. And so, more so than almost anything, you have seen this happen so many times if you pay attention to sports growing up. When one team gets control of the other team, I think yesterday Lance Taylor brought up the best example out there almost in sports anywhere today right now. It's Kentucky losing every time they've played against Florida since 1984. There have been a lot of years, including last year. I'm sorry, Kentucky fans, to have to bring this up. It's the longest-running streak of consecutive defeats anywhere out there. And when you look at all these individual games, the psychology of defeat versus the psychology of winning, the mind is incredibly powerful. And when Kentucky has a couple of plays go wrong, they think to themselves, oh, of course, it's Florida. This always happens. And when Florida has a couple of things go wrong for them, they think to themselves, oh, it's okay. It's Kentucky. They can never beat us. And the mind is convinced that that it's true. And the psychology becomes overwhelmingly powerful. Such that if you've sat and watched those games, you actually have thought to yourself, man, I wish the team we were playing against was just in a different uniform. So that the psychology is not catching as much as it is. I think the Raptors knew in game one against the Cavs, we talked about it on this show, we have to get this first victory. If we don't get this first victory, then it's going to bring back home all of the thoughts and the fears surrounding our inability to get past Cleveland that's ever existed before. And I think the pressure of being favored in this series, of everybody anticipating that the Raptors were going to send home the Cavs, ended up overwhelming them. And so as a result, when game one didn't happen, and then when game two, they came out and got the early lead, but then it went away, they thought, here we go again. Now the Cavs are playing pretty well. Kevin Love was fantastic last night. But the ultimate detail here that I think is in play 
is LeBron James has convinced the Toronto Raptors that they have no ability and no business to be able to get past them. And the mind is so powerful that when the Raptors lost that close game one, they basically just shut it down. They did not have the ability to respond at a high level and win a game they had to win last night. Uh, On Wednesday, we talked to John Campbell. He said one of his favorite stats was this. He said, the team that wins the first two games in an NBA series and goes up 2-0 wins 94% of all NBA series. So the Raptors and the Cavs series is effectively over. Maybe if you are a 76ers fan, you can hang your hat on the fact that at least you lost the first two on the road and that maybe you can come back home and win both of your home games and be in a position to go back up to Boston tied up 2-2. I'm not 100% convinced that series is over, particularly because the 76ers just collapsed. They were in complete control of this game with about three minutes to go in the first half, and then everything fell apart around them. And from that point forward, it was a pretty even game that eventually the Celtics grabbed control of. But man, what an unbelievable duo there. I think the same thing is true in the NHL. To a lesser extent, we have got what is likely to be an amazingly outstanding uh, series of games going on in the NHL. Last night, the Nashville Predators went on the road in Winnipeg, got a 2-1 to win to set up an incredible Game 5, which will be taking place late Saturday night, Cinco de Mayo in Smashville in Nashville. It's going to be an amazing scene. That game doesn't start till 9.30 Eastern it's going to be a uh, late-night SEC football game level, college football level, drunk. I mean, just going to be a wild scene inside there. As if that were not enough, the Penguins also came back. You talk about a team that owns the other team and that the we don't know if the Caps quite has the mental fortitude to prove that they can get past them. We'll see what happens for both these games. Game fives uh, tied up 2-2 there, and uh, in general – the NHL playoffs coming down the stretch, maybe a couple of Game 7s, we have no idea what's going to happen. No idea what's going to happen. But I would say the surprise in the Eastern Conference has been wild. If you had told just about everybody listening to us out out there right now, one team is going to be up 2-0 in both of these series. I think most people would have picked the Raptors and the 76ers coming into these games. And I think, frankly, Vegas most certainly and most definitely would have done the same thing. But I think the overriding story here is is the psychology of winning and losing. The mind is powerful. If you think you can, you can. And if you think you can't, you can't. And it's tough to convince a team that is convinced it can't that it's going to be able to win a series. And I think the Raptors might as well not even go down to Cleveland right now. Uh, Maybe they'll go on the road and perform better. I have my doubts. I think that LeBron is going to win both these games. And then it's possible if that series between the 76ers and the Celtics actually extends a little while, and I do think that could happen, that the, the Cavs are going to be able to get all their rest. And now you look at the remainder of whoever LeBron's going to have to play, either the Celtics, which I think the Cavs would probably be a small favorite of over, uh, given the, the status of the Celtics' uh, injuries, uh, or uh, what is uh, what is also uh, likely to be a young team that could be overwhelmed by LeBron James. Uh, when I saw the game happen against the Raptors in game one, I started thinking, man, LeBron may be able to get back to the finals, even though I don't think they're going to be a match 
at all for whoever wins the Western Conference. But man, I, right now, I think you have to pencil in the Cavs and say we're going to get war. If you were predicting right now, this exact moment as we head into the weekend, I would say we're going to get Warriors Cavs part four. Now, I don't think that the Cavs are going to be anywhere near as good as the Warriors this year. I think the Cavs are a vastly inferior team. I think we're going to head for a four or five game uh, finals. Now, if you're getting ready for the weekend, we obviously have the Kentucky Derby going on tomorrow. I know very little about the Kentucky Derby, but I'm going to be gambling on it, which is probably the case for just about everybody out there. If you're paying attention to the Kentucky Derby, you're probably gambling on it, even if you don't know anything. And to me, one of the uh, most uh, amazingly surprising aspects of the NBA playoffs so far has certainly been that the Jazz have performed fabulously well. Uh, they went on the road and got that uh, that big win now, tonight, they are going to be playing, trying to take complete control of the series in Utah. And if they do, if they do go up 2-1, they talk about a pressure on a team that may not necessarily believe in itself. The Rockets have never been with Chris Paul or James Harden to the Western Conference Finals, right? So certainly Chris Paul has not. And if that ends up happening, then man, the Jazz going up 2-1 would start to raise those mental doubts with those guys as well. So, tons to get into. Um, we have had a uh, an outstanding show set up for you today to give you a roadmap of where we're headed. Casey Smith is going to join us in Hour 2, and Jason Whitlock is going to join us again in Hour 3. You guys give such good feedback to Whitlock. He came on, he said, hey, I want to come on and talk about some of the stuff we talked about on Speak for Yourself yesterday and uh, and uh, come on the show. I said, yeah, sure, come on. So he's going to wake up early with us out in L.A. We're going to talk with Jeff Schwartz next segment. Schwartz uh, is out in Los Angeles as well. We missed him earlier this week, but he was able to uh, to get up with us, and uh, he will be good to go uh, in, the, uh, in the next segment, and uh, that should be pretty outstanding. We'll get in a little bit with Jeff into uh, the NFL drama. And, uh, and what he thinks of, uh, of everything kind of associated with the NFL draft and, uh, and, and more. We usually talk with Jeff on Wednesdays in hour two, but uh, he's out with doing Disneyland. He's out doing Legoland with his family, and he wanted to come on with us uh, early this morning. So we will knock that out with him next segment. I hope all of you, wherever you may be across the country, are having a fantastic Friday morning. The mind is powerful. The lesson of the day is simple. Convince yourself that you can, and you can pull off anything. Convince yourself that you can't, and you won't be able to do anything at all. And I think that sums up what's going on in the Eastern Conference better than any breakdown of individual playmaking could. Ultimately, this is about the power of the mind. The Cavs have it, and the Celtics have it. Boy, oh boy, right now, the Raptors do not, and neither do the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll be back. Jeff Schwartz up next. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox. Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, the list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Uh, we're joined now by Jeff Schwartz. Usually he joins us on Wednesday. He's out in L.A. Uh, he is up early with us. Appreciate you joining us here on the Friday edition of Outkick the Coverage. How's the family trip to L.A. been so far? 
It's good, like you say, when you go on a, on a, on a trip, when you take your kids somewhere, it's a trip. When you, when you just go, you and your wife, it's a vacation. It's been good. I went to Disneyland for the first time with my son, my daughter on Monday. Um, ton of fun. They enjoyed it. We, my wife did a smart thing. We ended up going to a breakfast beforehand to see all the characters. Yes. So we got that out of the way. So when we got there, there was not a need to stand in line for an hour to take a photo with Mickey because we'd already done that. So it was really good. I was surprised at actually how good my kids did. Um, and uh, we also we'll hit Legoland, and it's uh, it's been a fun trip so far. How was the crowd at Disneyland? It was sparse. I mean, they it was probably uh, less than I than I've seen since I've been there. But the stroller situation. Was, oh my god! There was a lot of strollers, and they and do a great job of of, of a parking. So, like, there's people there whose job it is to organize strollers outside a ride. It's quite oh, it's unbelievable. And also, you're. I think we talked about this before. When I, every time I've been to Disney World or Disneyland, and I've taken my kids to both, the number of fat people who ride around on scooters is an epidemic. I'm sorry, being fat is not a disability. Like if you cause your own disability, you can't then take advantage of it by getting on a scooter and getting to cut in line in front of everybody else. And I'll be damned if I don't see insanely fat people with like one of those huge turkey legs. Uh, like riding around on a scooter with like a turkey leg the size of a normal man's leg, like just gnawing away on it, like making their disability even worse. Like you can't get super fat and be allowed to cut the line. Like I don't understand like why that's allowed at all. And they're everywhere zooming around on those scooters. There was someone. There was someone who cut the line for the submarine ride. You have to walk down a spiral staircase. So he was in a he was in a motorized wheelchair. Who then had to get off his wheelchair, walk down a spiral staircase into a submarine, you know, do the ride, and and yeah, I mean, I, I just I, yeah, it's funny. When I was talking to my mom about this, who just retired as an attorney. She said that now that they're starting to rule that obesity can be a disability. Um, just by itself, like not the other parts of what happened when you get fat. I thought it was kind of interesting because um, I think we agree on that. Like if you become fat and, and you get, you know, you have diabetes and other uh, other complications, that's that kind of on you. Obviously, we know people have issues, and, and there's a reason why some people. Yeah, like know, if you're legitimately if you're legitimately disabled, I don't have a problem right. with you being able to cut the line. But I can't tell you the number of times. And by the way, every fat person brings like ten people with them. And you've been standing in line, and more people are like, "What about Fast Pass?" Well, you can get a Fast Pass, but then when you get a Fast Pass, like it's even you know, like you only get a limited number of them or whatever. So you inevitably, if it's a crowded park, end up standing in line for a while. And I can't tell you the number of time I saw just groups of people who were following one fat person just cut everybody in line. I'm like, "Can I rent a fat person? Like, why is this allowed?" <laughs> At Disney World and Disneyland, like we have to restrict in some way the ability to cut the line. And I'm sorry, to me, I draw the line at just being fat. So I stuttered as a kid, and I was told I could get a disability pass. Oh, that's and cut the line for for stuttering when I was a kid. Now, I obviously didn't do that, but man, like my ankle's a little jacked up. I'm gonna try to get me a scooter next time I go to Disney. Because it's the, the the line situation. Like when I when I when my kids are old enough to to appreciate Disneyland, I'm gonna do the VIP thing one day, just so we can hit all the rides. Um, and and that's it. You can pay like if you're if you have the money to do it, you can pay to have a private guide, and you just get put on the front of every line. You get to go behind the scenes, like they they drive you around in a cart, that, and that costs. I mean, I think it's like a thousand dollars an hour or something. 
It's I, I was my brother told me it's six hundred an hour minimum six hours. And I okay, do, so I'll at least one, like on, you know four one. grand probably if you tip somebody yeah. to do that. Um, but if you could do every ride in six hours and you have the money to do that, definitely seems like it would be a cool thing to do. Oh, for sure. I know. I sit on most of the rides. I just don't sit on Space Mountain, which kind of blows because that's my favorite one. I mean, I like roller coasters, but um, I think just for the kids, just to do it once. Like, why why have money if you can't do cool things from time to time? No, I agree completely. Did you go to both the parks there or just Disneyland? No, just Disneyland. I mean, look, my my son's only age forty two inches, so he doesn't fit on all the rides. Park, yeah, know, it's the first time. It, it was the first time at a big park, so we went on went on the, with those little rockets to go around. Everyone went Buzz Lightyear. Um, we did uh, Monterey. I was big, I tell you what, I'm very disappointed with Toontown. I thought it would be um, like more to do. I said it's just it's just a zillion kids running everywhere with their parents like running behind them. By the way, can we talk about this? Look, I understand your kids like to run away from you. My daughter is mischievous. You you turn your back and she is gone. I don't understand the leash thing. Like oh, the leash thing watch, is bull- just just watch just watch your kids, man. Like that's your job. You're the parent. Watch the kids. Like if you if your daughter or son, my daughter runs away, like. That's your job as a parent to reel them back in and like, make sure they don't do that. Like, just just don't just pay attention to your kids. It's an amusement park. Yeah, the leash thing also seems like it could be a disaster. Like, I've never done the leash, but also like you could trip somebody on your leash. And it's funny just to see the kid like get yanked like a dog on a leash. Like, it's pretty crazy <laughs> to do in general. Like, oh, Did you stay at the Legoland that. Hotel by the way out in Legoland? No, I'm I'm in Carlsbad at a uh, at my parents' timeshare. Uh, uh, but no, we're we're ten minutes from Legoland. We have not stayed there. We have not stayed at the resort. The, it nice. Oh, it's like I liked Legoland a lot more than I liked Disneyland. When we took our trip and we went to Disneyland, and then we kept driving down uh, in Southern California to Legoland. If you stay at the Legoland Resort there, I haven't been to the one in Orlando, but I've been to the one in uh, in Southern California. It is unbelievable how awesome it is. Um, I mean, you are literally like the door opens and you're basically in the park. So, uh, I mean, it's 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 easy to get in and out of. I love the Legoland concept because you have to have kids to get in Legoland. My kids absolutely loved it. The lines were short. There were no just adults there without kids, which obviously is very common at Disney World and Disneyland. Um, and if you stay at the hotel, I mean, it was such a relaxing trip because once you get there and park, you don't have to move again. Um, and you literally just open the door to your place. And they have all these – the rooms are awesome. Uh, the kids, if they like Legos, I mean, it's so incredibly well done. I mean, I, like we're not getting paid for this, but if you are listening right now and you've been thinking like, hey, I'm, my, my kids might like Legoland – I haven't been, like I said, to the one in Orlando, although I think we're going to go soon. But the one in uh, the one in Southern California, my kids just absolutely loved every moment of it. I mean, it's spectacularly designed. We got to do it. Do you get into the park early, like you do Disney? Yeah, like you stay at the hotel? I think I think you yeah, did get a little bit early, and that's cool too. Like if you stay on the Disney properties, you get an hour in- entrance early. I think is what they do. The magic hours, yeah. they call it. Uh, I'm way too much of an expert on this. All right, so we've broken down uh, all the family parks. What did you think about uh, the NFL draft in general? Are you a believer in Baker Mayfield as being worthy of the overall number one pick? Oh man, I I, I, I would have gone with Sam Darnold. I would have gone with Josh Rosen. Quite honestly, I mean, there, you know, the story came out the other day from I think the Browns uh, the personnel director that he didn't like Josh Rosen because the volleyball coach would tell him about Josh. It was a very odd story, and that's the reason why that's ridiculous. Look, the Browns were in a situation and wanted to take the quarterback they wanted. They wanted Baker Mayfield. 
if you look at the history of John Dorsey and where he's been, that's the quarterback he's wanted uh, or he's been he's seen, right? Brett Favre uh, in, in Green Bay, right? Gunslinger. Um, you just drafted Pat Mahomes in, in Kansas City uh, to replace Alex Smith. And a lot of that was Andy Reid, too. But, you know, Baker Mayfield fits that mold of quarterback, kind of a gunslinger, uh, got some personality in him, playing the air raid offense, which is what Pat Mahomes played in at Texas Tech. Um, it, it doesn't surprise me that they chose him. He's got a lot. He's got a lot on his plate now in Cleveland. Um, the attitude is not, to me has never really been a problem. Um, but we'll see how he transitions to playing in the NFL, playing in the pro offense. We have not seen much uh, success from these air raid quarterbacks. Um, you know, the the idea that his confidence is or his personality is just so much greater than Sam Darnold's off the field. I don't really think that matters. I think it matters how you play on the field. We saw Sam Darnold, a 19-year-old, uh, light up Penn State in the Rose Bowl. So, um, to me, it matters more what you do on the field, which is, again, that why Josh Rosen dropped the 10, which is, I think Arizona had, had the best draft. I mean, they, they got to, to trade up to draft a quarterback at 10. Who's the best passer now? He's the best passer in this in this draft as of this moment. And he could be the best overall quarterback in this draft as well. They drafted him and Christian Kirk and, and, and have Fitzgerald there as well. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Larry Fitzgerald spent an extra year in the NFL to play with Josh Rosen. Um, so I, I was I was excited where, where those guys went. And the Jets with Sam Darnold, man, they got a huge steal at three. They, they were sitting there training up to three, probably thinking they'd end up with Mayfield or Josh Allen. And they get the best quarterback in the draft, like, like they're, they're, the the funny thing is, we basically had said all along, if you talk to any of the scouts, that Sam Darnold was the, was number one quarterback, and we changed our opinion based on personality. Um, which I don't know. I, I I put with quarterbacks like Eli Manning, who everyone looked at him and was like, he has no personality. He does, but you know, I put Alex Smith, who's not a fiery leader, but he gets the job done. Um, I want a quarterback who gets the job done. Yeah, we all do, especially if you have a team with no quarterback at all. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Schwartz, and uh, he is out in Southern California on a family vacation talking with us early in the morning on Friday. Appreciate him getting up with us. When you hear all the controversy surrounding Brady and uh, and Belichick, are you buying into this could be a significant factor in next season, or do you think this is just the off-season drama? How does this self-resolve itself? Is there any way to resolve the conflict between the two? Uh, it's probably just a little bit of off-season drama uh, combined with there's a little bit of strife. I think when you when you don't win and you have a coach who's who's kind of a stickler like like Belichick doesn't play over well, and I get Tom Brady wanting a little bit more you know respect. I think a lot of people assume that. Their dynasty is more like Belichick related than maybe Tom Brady related, right? If you separate the two, who would succeed more? Actually, Belichick would probably succeed more uh, than Brady. But uh, he wants—he just wants some, some some respect. I think if you if there actually was some strife, I think you would have seen them draft a quarterback much earlier. Yeah, they they they, they don't they didn't draft one. I mean, they had an opportunity to trade up in the first round and get a Josh Rosen. Uh, possibly, and you know they obviously passed on that and ended up building up their roster. They built up their roster in the draft like they needed to to make another run at this. They drafted a left tackle, a playmaker, a defensive back. They they addressed all the needs that they, they had on their team. So I think it's a it's a it's much to do about nothing. Training camp will roll around. Everything will be fine. And they're I think they're the favorites to win the Super Bowl right now. So um, it's just uh, just all season like usual. What do you think about Jason Witten retiring from football and going straight into the booth Monday Night Football? Man, I, I should have played for Dallas. I wouldn't. I have yeah. my own. I have my own job calling games right now. Um, 
I haven't heard him talk very much. I have no idea how he's going to do. Um, you know, we see a lot of quarterbacks do well because quarterbacks, you know, they're required to talk to the media three times a week. They have to be in these production meetings all the time. I mean, executives get to know them. And obviously we've seen a track record of ex-Dallas Cowboys in this role and do well as Aikman or Moose Johnson or, or Romo or there's, I think there's another Michael Irvin is NFL Network's, you know, basically top personality. And so, there are six guys that I can think of right now. Aikman, Daryl Moose Johnson, uh, Tony Romo, Jason Witten, Deion Sanders, and Michael Irvin, who all I think are prominently kind of thought of as Cowboys. And I think most of those guys only really kind of played with the Cowboys. Deion obviously played with multiple teams. Yeah. But I think most of them are kind of in your head. You think of them, when you think of them, immediately you think of them in a Cowboy uniform. I think Deion's probably the only guy – you can even think of them wearing a different uniform. You can remember Dion with the Redskins, Dion with the Falcons, Dion with the 49ers. He obviously jumped around a bunch of different teams. But other than that, I still think of people most of the time thinking of him as a Cowboy. I think so, too. And even as a Niner fan, I mean, he just basically was for hire for a year and ended up winning a Super Bowl with the 49ers. Look, I mean, this is a big this is a big, important role because Monday football is transitioning. You know, they're, they're, uh, Joe Tessitore is taking over, which I think he's great in college. I just don't know how he'll do in the NFL. Right? We haven't heard his voice call an NFL game before. Now we have Jason Witten. I do wonder if they're going to go with a three-man booth, which which could maybe ease um, Jason Witten into this. Because, look, Romo had <coughs> excuse me, plenty of opportunities to work last year. He had the Thursday night game as well to continue to improve and get reps in. Um, so we'll see how this ends up working. I don't see why it wouldn't work. I just I don't know much about Jason Wynn. I haven't heard him talk very much. Um, and so I'm sure he's outspoken. I'm sure that he's ready for this gig. And, and look, if I was in my, whatever, 15th year and my team prospects didn't look very good at ESPN wanted to pay me $5 million, I'd probably walk away too. You know, the Cowboys, by the way, they have done the least of any team recently with a quarterback on a great contract. I mean, look at the Rams, the Eagles, the Seahawks from a couple of years ago. Um, all went all in with a quarterback on their rookie contract. And the Cowboys have done none of that. They have a terrible roster with with a quarterback who's young. Like if you can't have that. You you just can't do that um, with with a young quarterback. You, you, it just it's. I don't know what Dallas is doing. Uh, we got into a debate yesterday about lions. Uh, we had an attack by, on a, a, by a lion on a man. How long would you have to be dating a girl to try to save her from a lion attack? That's a good question. I mean, should, shouldn't the chivalrous thing be that you always try to save her? That's one argument. How long, That's one argument. How long, how long you've been dating her? Um, yeah, wow. I would probably jump in there. Even if it just was anyone, I probably would feel like I should jump in there and try to do something. I mean, unless the lion already has the person by the neck and just tearing their, their neck apart. I mean, I feel like as a decent human, you try to do something. I don't know what I would do, but I don't think it would matter how long I was dating someone. If I was on a date with someone and a lion attacked her, I probably would try to go save her. Final question, big debate. Have you ever seen an olive garden in a bad neighborhood? <laughs> um... I don't even know. I've been Olive Garden in so long. Um, I, I, I don't know. Probably not. I would okay. say no. I think that's a safe bet. Jeff Shorts uh, with us. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Have a good rest of the family vacation. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Take care, guys. We're going to go to Eddie Garcia. Let's find out what's shaking the world of sports now.
All right, Clay, here's your Geico playoff report in the NBA playoffs. Cavaliers over the Raptors, 128-110. to LeBron James, 43 points, 14 assists in the win. Cleveland now has a 2-0 series lead against the number one seed in the East, having won the first two games of the series on the road. Celtics rally down 22 points, beat the 76ers, 108-103. Boston grabs a 2-0 series lead. Philadelphia Rookie of the Year candidate Ben Simmons had one point in 31 minutes. NHL playoffs, Penguins beat the Capitals, 3-1. That series is tied at 2-2. Predators over the Jets in Winnipeg. 2-1 that series is tied at 2-2. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Clay, you were talking NFL and quarterback Matt Ryan agrees on a five-year contract extension with the Atlanta Falcons. It'll make him the first NFL player to earn $30 million per year. It includes $100 million in guaranteed money. Now back to Clay Travis and the Geico Outkick the Coverage Studios. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. As you run into the weekend, uh, I am uh, genuinely curious here. I'm going to bring in the crew when we come into the next segment. What do we think about uh, all of these series that are going on in the NBA and the NHL? I would argue with you right now that in the NHL, anything could happen and nobody would really be surprised by it. It's possible that by the end of tonight, every series will either be 2-2 or one person will be up 3-2, obviously, in uh, in the series where they've already played the game five. And anything could happen from here on out. In the NBA, I think there's really only one interesting series right now so far through two games. You got a 2-0 lead for the Warriors over the Pelicans. I don't think anybody out there right now is saying, you know what, man, I really think the Pelicans can win this series. Maybe they'll get one of these games down in New Orleans. Maybe they'll get both of them. I still feel like they have a 0% chance of actually winning the series. I think that one's done. I don't think the Raptors have any chance at all having lost their first two at home. And frankly, based on what I've seen so far, I don't feel that good about the 76ers. Now, to be fair... The Celtics have not won a road game in the playoffs so far. They had to win the set game seven at home. Uh, so it's possible, maybe even probable, that when they go back on the road against the 76ers, the 76ers can bounce back and win two. And when they go back to Boston, the 76ers will be tied up uh, at 2-2 with a chance to win still game five and take control of that series. We'll see what happens on the road in Philadelphia. So I would say there's at least some interest in that series. There's a lot of interest for me in the Rockets going on the road against the Jazz. The Rockets about a four-point favorite, even though they're going on the road against Utah. Will they bounce back and reclaim control of this series, or will we see what happened in in the first-round series, where when Oklahoma City went out to Utah, they didn't really play that well, and they didn't have much of a chance to win those games. So we will see what ends up transpiring, but really... Right now, I think only one of those series is very interesting in the NBA. Am I wrong? Am I right? I'll bring in the crew, ask them what they think. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, pro customers at Lowe's save 5% on every purchase every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. That's 5% of all purchases in-store or online subject to credit approval U.S. only. Uh, thank you guys for spending your Friday morning with us. Casey Smith will be up in hour two, and I think we're going to talk to Whitlock again in hour three. But let me go ahead and uh, and bring in the crew. And the question I've got for you is how many of these NBA series, I think all four of the NHL series now in the second, uh, second um, 
round of those are wide open and anything can happen. How many NBA series do you think have uncertainty right now? My argument is maybe on the outside edge, you could argue that the 76ers, because the Celtics have not won a road playoff game yet, that they could come back and win both those games and still extend it. It could go six or seven. Otherwise, I think the Raptors are done. I think the Pelicans are done. By far, the only I think the one that's only likely to be really interesting is what could happen with the Jazz and the Rockets. And if the Jazz went on the, uh, at home and lost to the Rockets tonight, then I think that series could fade as well. How many of these second-round NBA playoff series essentially are worth investing in right now as you head into the weekend? Jason Martin, what you got? I got one, but it's Boston and Philadelphia. I, I, like I've said for months, as you know, I've been pretty outspoken and said I'm not going to get suckered into either the Raptors or the Rockets to get to the NBA Finals or to win. But I also am not getting suckered into believing that one great game from the Utah Jazz is going to derail Houston yet. I think Golden State is going to dominate Houston, but I don't think Utah has got a chance. I think Houston's going to win tonight. I think they're going to win both the games in Utah, and that thing could be over in 5-6 at the max. I think Toronto is done. I think they will win Game 3 at least, and that'll make Game 4 at least interesting. But that was an embarrassing performance yesterday. There's no other way around that. Boston and Philly, I right now, if I had to pick who was coming out of the East, it would be the Celtics. And I actually believed that before either one of these two series got started. Not just because of Brad Stevens, but because I think people have underrated the talent on this team and consider they're doing a lot of this without Jalen Brown over the last few games. And that guy's a borderline all-star right now. That team's going to be amazing to watch next year. So I think that that's intriguing. But the reason why I say that series is still something to watch is basically what you just said. Even though I think that the Bucks are a tougher matchup, just the way that they're constructed for the Celtics, Philadelphia is going to show out, I think. I don't. I think this is destined to be a fairly long series, although we have discussed at length that youth in the NBA playoffs usually has to take steps up. But Boston is full of youth, too. So I think that we're going to see Philadelphia get back into this thing because the Bucks won two at home after Boston looked quite dominant against them in the first two games. So I think that's the one series that's actually fairly entertaining. As good as I find New Orleans to be, they're not Golden State. So there's one out of four for me in the NBA. What about you guys in L.A.? Are, uh, and, and we'll see what happens because you could still end up with, if you ended up with Cavs against Celtics and you ended up with Rockets against Warriors, that would actually be the four teams that most people would have predicted before the season started. Now, that was before the Gordon Hayward injury. That was before Kyrie Irving was out for the entire year. So certainly the Celtics season has been a lot different than anticipated, and nobody foresaw the Cleveland Cavaliers gutting their entire roster and remaking it on the fly. But that still would be the two teams that most people anticipated. And I think the same thing would be true in the West, with maybe a a little bit of a caveat of people expected, I believe, the Spurs to be better than they were, but they expected the top three teams, and maybe also the Thunder. They probably expected those four teams to be the final four standing coming into uh, the season, and that certainly has not happened in the West. But the final two, I think, was probably a little bit expected. What about you? How many got? How many series are worth investing in if you're getting ready, headed into the weekend here to decide how to spend uh, your weekend? So the the Jazz have proven that they can win as underdogs. I still think that that's exciting to watch that series versus the Rockets because. 
the ver- at the very least, Donovan Mitchell is very fun to watch. Did you see that putback dunk he had? We we played the play by play of it yesterday on the show. Yeah, and he tweeted out game blouses, uh, which was pretty <laughs> fantastic, hanging on the rim there, uh, Man, which was he, uh, spectacular. Yeah, he is very fun to watch. So if he's on the court, I'm watching that game. Uh, as far as who's going to come out of the East, I'm. it feels like the Cavs versus the Celtics right now. It really does. And the Celtics, um, as Jason was mentioning about Jalen Brown needing to be healthy, that is the key because it seems like when, for whatever reason, when Jalen Brown is out on the court, they all kind of gel together and the Celtics go on their runs in the games when Brown is out there. So we know about Jason Tatum. We talked about him a lot on the show the day before the NBA draft, actually, and thought he was a good fit for the Celtics way back then. But, you know, obviously everybody wrote the Celtics off as soon as Kyrie went down. Thought, man, they, they lose their two big stars. There's no way the Celtics are going to go that deep into the playoffs. It's amazing to think that they might be in a position to upset the Cavaliers. Well, and also to think about how good they're going to be next year. I mean, this is, I think, for the first time in a long time. I know a couple of years ago the Cavs came back and won a series, but I think most people would say that the Warriors were better than the Cavs, even though they gave up that 3-1 series lead and won. That was a testament to what the Cavs were able to do. Uh, Draymond Green getting suspended, that that series kind of turning upside down on its head. I think that next year is potentially the first year that the Eastern Conference, if Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward comes back and the, the talent surrounding them gels, that you could look at it and say there's a legitimate contender to beat the team from the West. And that's without even thinking about what LeBron does. Uh, and, and I think even if LeBron moved to another team in the East, I think certainly the Cavs would be nowhere near as good. I think even if LeBron moved to, let's say, the 76ers, uh, I'm not sure that they have the horses even then against the Celtics. So I think that would finally break kind of the hegemony that LeBron James, the hold that he has had over the entire Eastern Conference. I think we're close to that. I thought this, I thought the Raptors were going to give him a challenge. Hasn't happened. Uh, so uh, let's go ahead and we dive into hour two. A couple of interesting stories out there we haven't talked about yet. Uh, Kirby Smart gets $7 million a year to take over as the new head coach uh, in, in his new deal with Georgia. Uh, I saw the numbers on all of the college football head coaches. Kind of interesting to think about that as well as uh, we get ready for these NHL playoff series. I want to talk a little bit more about that and how wide open they are. All that an hour or two. Plus, we'll go talk with Casey. She's going to be on Casey Smith on her way to Boston. We'll talk to her about the Celtics and their chance as well as the Bruins. I'm Clay Travis. Southgate, the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as you wake up across the country on uh, Friday morning, wherever you may be. Uh, Much to get to here. We're going to talk with Casey Smith. Uh, She's going to be on a train, I believe, from New York City headed to Boston. She's going to join us here in uh, a few minutes. But to me, biggest takeaways... Uh, LeBron owns the Raptors. I'm not sure how much more you can even say about that series. Uh, The Raptors psychologically are defeated. We'll see if they can put up any kind of fight at all as they go back to Cleveland. It doesn't seem like they will, but uh, that is a remarkable swing in the series from what expectation was before Game 1 tipped off. Uh, In the uh, Boston Celtics series, Brad Stevens continues to be a wizard, getting the most out of all of the talent despite the injuries that he has faced. Uh, The Celtics have yet to win a game on the road, so that series may still be wide open. 
I stayed up late last night. I'm sure uh, many of you did across the country as well. Uh, the Nashville Predators are playing the Winnipeg Jets, and uh, that series is now tied up 2-2. And uh, the Capitals uh, found a way. They had a chance to kind of gain control of the series, uh, but the Penguins found a way to come back and continue their uh, potential dominance in that series. All of the NHL is wide open as we go into the weekend. Um, I right now am uh, looking at uh, tickets on Saturday night. I can't even imagine how wild it's going to be in Nashville where I live for Cinco de Mayo uh, with a Game 5 must-win game for both Winnipeg and the Nashville Predators as they come back to town here. So uh, a lot to be excited about there. One story that I saw yesterday that we did not touch on because the news came down after uh, we finished the show I do think this is a little bit interesting. They signed, the Georgia Bulldogs did, Kirby Smart to a new contract, a seven-year, $49 million deal. That was a story that came out of the state of Georgia. The other one that came out of the state of Georgia that I thought was interesting was Matt Ryan became the first $30 million a year quarterback or player in the history of the NFL. Now, what was intriguing on that level to me is Michael Jordan became the first $30 million player in the NBA all the way back in 1998. So if you think about how crazy that is, that it took that long, 20 years, for another player to reach in the NFL the same category that Michael Jordan reached in 1998. And for all you guys out there who are like, well, when you contemplate inflation, Michael Jordan, yeah, it's even crazier. Michael Jordan was probably making like $45 million when you think about inflation. I don't know what the rate is, what a $1998 is worth compared to a 2018 dollar. But my bet is Jordan was probably making close to $45 million in today's money in his final year playing with the Chicago Bulls. But uh, my guy Chris Lowe, who writes at ESPN, put out this list of college football's 10 highest paid coaches based on their average annual salary. And he says Urban Meyer is the number one overall highest paid coach right now, making just shy of $8.5 million a year. Nick Saban makes $8.3 million. And then this this number is crazy to me. Jim Harbaugh makes $7.7 million at Michigan, despite the fact that he's done absolutely nothing in his first three years. Jimbo Fisher makes $7.5 million. We all know how that played out. Uh, Texas A&M decided they were going to pay Jimbo Fisher as much money as they needed to, and they had to pay him to leave Florida State. Gus Malzahn got that big $7 million a year deal from Auburn because Arkansas was willing to pay him a ton of money to come back home. Instead, Malzahn stayed at Auburn. Kirby Smart, like I said, now tied in the fifth highest paid spot in college football at $7 million. Dabo just a little bit under $7 million at six point seven five. Dan Mullen. I didn't even realize. I knew he was making a lot of money, but I didn't realize the Gators had already had to pay him $6 million a year. I know I paid attention to those contract details, but I didn't know Dan Mullen was the eighth highest paid. David Shaw does an incredible job out at Stanford. Maybe a little bit surprising to people to find out that he makes $6 million a year just because I don't necessarily know that you think of Stanford as the answer to one of the 10 highest paid college football coaches in America. And then Tom Herman down at the University of Texas as he gets ready for year three, I believe, right? Uh, he is at $5.95 million at the University of Texas. May only be year two with Tom Herman. Everything runs together uh, on uh, on this uh, situation in general. So that in and of itself is the top 10 highest paid guys in college football. I thought that was intriguing. I also thought the question with Matt Ryan is, 
Where are we headed? What's the dollar figure for a quarterback within the context of the overall salary cap where you hit a number and it just doesn't make sense going forward? Because $30 million a year is a pretty massive dollar figure, particularly because Matt Ryan signed, I believe it's a five-year deal, guaranteeing him $150 million. Literally the most lucrative deal in the history of the NFL. And every single one of these quarterback contracts just kind of resets the overall calibration of how much money somebody's going to make. And I think at least NFL fans have become sophisticated enough not to argue, hey, you know what, Uh, why in the world is Matt Ryan the highest paid guy in the NFL? Matt Stafford was the highest paid. It's all about when your contract is cycling up. And so when you look at the $30 million a year contract for Matt Ryan or the $7 million a year contract for Kirby Smart, I think it's a reasonable question to ask. What dollar figure do you hit? And I think it's more difficult to figure out in the NFL with quarterback, but what dollar figure do you hit where in college football or coaching in general, you just think, my God, there's no way to justify that? Because I think you look at the overall revenue that these college football programs produce, and it's pretty easy to justify why the coach makes so much money because you're not paying players. But I also think in this day and age when everybody's the payer, the players paid. When you see that Urban Meyer and Nick Saban are making eight and a half million dollars a year, it definitely you take a step back and think, "Wow, I mean, what is the dollar figure?" Because I remember, I think it was 1996. We were talking about Jordan's salary in '98. I believe Steve Spurrier was the first coach in college football history to make a million dollars a year. I think that's true, and I think it was around 1996. And so, if you think about that salary escalation from basically the last 20 years to now we've gone from the first coach to make a million dollars to now we're not far off from the first coach in college football to make nine million dollars a year and is there a dollar figure where it's hit and people say you know what that's too much for a state employee to make I don't know what the answer is but when I see all these guys and how quickly the acceleration of contracts go I think Stuart Mandel tweeted out in 2016 that all those guys have made $7 million or more, and there are now six of them making $7 million or more just in the last two years. The $8 million mark will be the next to go. I think Nick Saban and Urban Meyer are worth it. I think that Jim Harbaugh is the most overpaid coach in all of college football relative to what he's done. If you look at that list that I ran through, everybody who's making a ton of money at their current job has either won a national championship or they have won at least a conference championship. Urban and Saban obviously have won a lot of national championships. Jimbo won a national championship at Florida State, built that program up to a high level. Gus Malzahn won a national championship at Auburn, uh, or sorry, almost won a national championship at Auburn and won an SEC championship. Kirby Smart, SEC title, almost won a national championship. Dabo's obviously won a national championship and a couple of ACC titles. Dan Mullen, okay, that's where you kind of get the drop off to Dan Mullen to $6 million. But all the top seven guys have all won national championships or conference championships. Just a little bit surprising to me when you look at what Jim Harbaugh is making from Michigan relative to the results. All right, we got Casey Smith coming on. We'll ask her about all of this, see what she thinks about the the series going on in Boston. She's hopping a train right now from New York City to Boston, and we will discuss all of the status of the NBA and the NHL with her. Also, uh, she's a Dallas Cowboy fan. What does she feel like about Jason Witten? leaving the Dallas Cowboys behind the end of an era in Big D. Jason Witten, Tony Romo, and Des Bryant all gone from the Dallas Cowboys. 
a trio that defined uh, certainly a, a long period of Dallas Cowboy football. And is Des Bryant going to get a gig or not? We're sure probably the answer is yes, but maybe not the money that he was anticipating. We'll talk about all that more uh, with Casey Smith. I am Clay Travis. Thanks for spending your Friday morning with us here on Outkick, the coverage. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, let's go up to New York City where I think it was like 90 degrees yesterday. Uh, No spring at all. Just jumped right from like 55 and a little bit rainy, 60 to 90. Is that right, Casey? Did it hit 90 degrees in New York City yesterday? Yeah, it did. It was not the weather app, and I thought I had Texas. And then I got outside and started sweating immediately and realized that I had gone from having to wear really thick coats to shorts and tank tops in the matter of two days. I don't know why I'm surprised, though. It was like that in Boston last year. So uh, welcome to New York City, I guess. So what's your plan this morning? You're about to hop on the train and head back up to Boston, which is uh, trying to win both the NHL Stanley Cup and the uh, NBA title, the only uh, city that's still arrive, uh, alive in both. Um, what, uh, which one do you think people are alive? Are the Celtics by far the bigger story right now, you think, in Boston in terms of uh, them versus the Bruins? Yeah, I think that it's more surprising where the Celtics are right now just because with Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward injured, uh, that people didn't necessarily expect the Celtics to look this could maybe not even get out of the first round, but now they're making Philadelphia look ridiculous, which is very surprising, I think, to a lot of people because the 76ers arguably were the best team coming out of the East going into the playoffs because you didn't know what the Cavs were going to look like. But the Bruins have had hype around them all season, so it's kind of expected for them to be there. But the, what the Celtics are doing right now is crazy when you look at how they've made Philadelphia look the last couple of games. Okay, so you let's let's dive out of the out of the NBA and the NHL for a minute. You're a huge Dallas Cowboy fan. Do you feel like it's officially the end of an era now? Romo going and leaving was one thing. Then you lose Des Bryant, and then you lose Jason Witten. Does this feel like turning the page now? It is officially Dak and Ezekiel Elliott's team. And how excited are you? How disappointed are you over the way? The previous kind of era ended, and uh, looking forward, do you think there's any possibility this era will be as successful, at least in the regular season, as the last one was? Well, it's definitely the new era from the players' standpoint, but the problem is is that Jason Garrett's still the head coach, and I'm not yeah. trying to disrespect the guy, but when you look at the talent that the Cowboys had and some of those guys you just mentioned, and then the fact that Jason Garrett couldn't get it done with Tony Romo, and I think it was a chicken-and-an-egg situation because I'm not a huge Tony Romo person – but at the same time, you still have Jason Garrett there. Jerry is so blindly loyal to him that until that gets figured out, unless for some reason he works better with Dak Prescott than he did with Tony Romo, I can't say that it's turning the page yet. It's kind of bizarre that he's still there, to be honest, especially as a Cowboys fan who's like, okay, everything needs to change because if you had all of those guys on the roster in Dallas and couldn't win more than a couple of playoff games, they're not the only problem on the roster. What about Dak? I mean, I haven't heard a lot of discussion about this, but Dak Prescott's security blanket, I would say, in the first couple of years, and the security blanket for a long time for Tony Romo, too, was Jason Witten. And then, obviously, uh, Des Bryant had the ability at least to put fear into defenses for a little while in the Dak Prescott era. How optimistic should Cowboy fans be about him as he comes back for year three? They were wildly optimistic after year one going into year two. I think it's fair to say he probably took a step back in year two. What are reasonable expectations for year three, given what he's losing in terms of the long-term success of the Dallas Cowboys? I definitely think going into last season, he was overhyped. And I'm saying that very lightly because I really like Dak Prescott. I've liked him since he was at Mississippi State, covered him when I was with the SEC Network. But last year, it was like the expectations were so high. He was getting ranked 
and like the top 15 players in the NFL by NFL players, which was asinine because you were going off of one year. And then last year, you can make the excuse and you can look at it and say, okay, without Ezekiel Elliott for a lot of the season, it is difficult to know exactly how good that team could be. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I don't think that they're going to look near as bad as they did last year a lot of times, and I don't think he's going to look as great as he did his first year. But eventually I do think he's a franchise quarterback for Dallas. I really do. I could be completely blind to that just because I like the guy and I think he's talented, but I think the expectations should be somewhere in the middle this upcoming season. Will you watch the Derby tomorrow? Oh, yeah. And dress and, up for it, too. So you're going to be in Boston. Like, what's your – I'm going to a Kentucky Derby party. I think a lot of people go to Kentucky Derby parties. So you're going to be dressed up for it somewhere in Boston going to the – do you know anything about the horses that are avail- that are running in the race, like, at all? Because my contention is there's nothing in the world of sports that your average person does more than watch the Kentucky Derby that they know less about. I know nothing about what's going on. I've been to the Derby. I think it's a fantastic time. I like to drink. I like to hang out and everything else. Do you know anything at all about the horses that are actually running in the Kentucky Derby? Absolutely not. And this is one of those things where I can admit it and be 100% comfortable and say I have no idea. I never know. Every year I just show up at Kentucky Derby parties with the dress and the hat and whatever. And it usually falls around Cinco de Mayo, if not on Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, it's going to be an ugly day. Yeah, it is. So the party that I'm going to tomorrow, the option is you can either come dressed in seersucker suits and derby attire, or you can dress up for Cinco de Mayo, and bathing suits may or may not be uh, optional. Like, you can come in a bathing suit and a sombrero if you want. So the outfit array is going to be crazy. Like, I don't even know what to expect to go from Kentucky Derby outfits to bikinis and sombreros, but it sounds like a good time. So how do you balance out the day? That's a great question because there's a lot of people listening to us today who are going to be like, I'm going, I gotta, we got a big weekend. We're going to Foo Fighters are coming to Nashville, so we're going to go see Foo, the Foo Fighters tonight. And then tomorrow we're going to the Derby, and then I think I'm going to go to the Preds game at 8.30 Central Time, 9.30 Eastern against the, uh, against the Winnipeg Jets. But you got to balance your day because if you drink too much at the Derby, like, it's an early start, relatively speaking, for a lot of these derby parties. Cinco de Mayo goes on a lot longer. Like, this is a, this is kind of a, a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, it is. And then the NBA playoffs are at night, too. So if your team is playing, you want to pay attention. Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm really bad at balancing day drinking. I'm in my late 20s and still haven't figured it out. Like, day drinking to me is so much fun that it is a sprint early on at brunch, and then it just kind of falls downhill from there. So I fully expect that to happen tomorrow. But when you talk about needing to – I mean, you, you've got a full weekend. So if you're going to go to the hockey game tomorrow, you've got to be coherent. I don't know if you can have as much fun watching the Derby as most people would if they don't have to go somewhere tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, that's the balancing act. I've also got to coach Little League Baseball early on Saturday morning, so i got to be careful with the, uh, with the Foo Fighters in general because uh, <laughs> I think that's going to be a pretty awesome uh, concert too. Um, all right, so you got into a debate the other day, and I asked my wife this, and I think it's an incredible debate. You were, uh, well, tell people what your debate was. Okay, so I put out a blog yesterday on Barstool saying that if I had to pick somebody who I thought was universally loved by men and women alike, that it was an easy answer for me. It was Justin Timberlake. He's a triple threat. Uh, Women love him. Men love him. Men want to be him. Women want to be with him. The whole thing. And then on radio, I got totally owned because I was told that The Rock is a better answer. And the problem was is mostly guys called in to defend The Rock, and I kept trying to go back and say, listen, I understand guys love The Rock, but guys also love Justin Timberlake, and I would make the argument that more women 
love Justin Timberlake than The Rock. I like both, but I would still put Justin Timberlake above that. And people were owning my whole life calling me. They were so pissed that I took that stance. And I just don't think it's a crazy stance to take. Justin, everybody loves Justin Timberlake. We're going to Justin Timberlake on Wednesday of next week. He's performing in Jealous. Nashville. And so Jealous. he is, uh, he is like, he lives here part of the time now. I mean, I'm sure he's got 10 homes, but he's around uh, the city of Nashville quite a bit. I asked my wife this, and, uh, and she's going to also pile on. She says The Rock is a lot more desirable than Justin Timberlake. And... Uh, I, I, it's a great question. Like, which of like I, I think those are two spectacular nominations. Can you think? Like, did you even contemplate anybody else outside of those? Because I could see a Clooney, I can see a Denzel Washington, but they're getting older in terms of their universal appeal. The Rock has been around a long time, but I think The Rock is more universally beloved than Justin Timberlake. Like, I think if women could draft. The ideal man. By the way, you're going to get hit by a cab there. If women yeah, could draft, I'm in Manhattan, so you yeah. never know what's going to happen. I apologize. <laughs> if women could draft the ideal man, I think The Rock would be the number one draft pick right now. I think Justin Timberlake might be well be number two. What athlete would be? I mean, let's take The Rock out as an athlete. What other athlete would be Brady? I would say Tom Brady probably. Uh, I don't see. And the the hard thing with me yesterday when we were having this argument, and it got electrically explosive like everybody was yelling at each other this was one of those arguments nobody had any idea was going to go that far but everybody was making their case if you talk about right now i understand the rock is like super popular right now my argument is if you took everything that justin timberlake has done over his career and everything the rock has done both are very desirable but that justin timberlake has been more desirable to both for a longer period of time because i I think the rock is super sexy absolutely would love to be with the rock but I'm talking like Justin Timberlake back in NSYNC days. It might be my age, too. That might be have something to do with it. But the whole wrestling thing isn't near as appealing to me as the Justin Timberlake with Britney Spears era. So that's where I was coming from. But as far as athletes, I mean, I guess you could look at, at Tiger Woods before the whole thing blew up in his face. Maybe he would be one of those guys. But obviously not now. So maybe Tom Brady would be the number one guy. Yeah, but I don't think anybody was ever like, oh, Tiger Woods is sexy. Like, I think people see The Rock and they see Justin Timberlake and they see Tom Brady as sexy. I think Tiger Woods was like, you know, kind of a likable athlete, but I don't think anybody was like, oh, I'd love to go out, you know, like on a date with Tiger Woods. I mean, I think he's kind of, he seems kind of socially awkward. Uh, Yeah, that's a a good point. But I mean, guys wanted to be Tiger Woods at one point, right? Like when he was married to Elon and all that stuff. But you're right, from from a girl standpoint, they didn't have, he doesn't have the same appeal as those other guys do. So you said you're going to a derby party. Uh, you're hopping on the train. So first of all, what is your train move going to be? Like you're on the train. What will you do the entire train ride? Will you sleep? Will you like, you know, what, what, what is your go-to move on the train in terms of the way you pass your time? I normally try to sleep. However, I woke up this morning and there's some girl that's going after one of my coworkers at Barstool. And I, as you well know, whenever you rile up an internet mob, and everybody starts going, the attitudes start flaring. And so before 6 o'clock in the morning, I was already trying to body bag people on the Internet. So I have a, an assumption that I'll probably be trying to do that the entire train ride, which Just is ridiculous because it's, it's social media, but that's the world we live in. So unless I can calm down, I won't be sleeping very much. All right, so on the, uh, on the, the, the activities tomorrow, Kentucky Derby, what about the, uh, what about the NHL versus the NBA? Just like, I think it's a bit, I mean, this is a big weekend for sports in general. I think the first round of the NBA and the NHL playoffs, there's so much going on that I feel like a lot of people are not aware of the overall conference standings and the, and the, the, the different uh, playoff series and how they're breaking down. 
Is Kentucky Derby for you far and above everything else on Saturday just because of the event surrounding it? Or would you rather, if you had to pick, would you rather watch the Derby or watch the NBA or the NHL? I'd rather watch the NBA because I like basketball the most. I do think the Stanley Cup playoffs are wildly entertaining, even if you're not a big hockey fan. But because it's the event around the Kentucky Derby, it does take precedent tomorrow. But at the same time, the NBA playoffs, I'm still going to have to watch. Whether I remember watching them or not is yet to be seen. But I love basketball, so I'm going to watch it. The hockey might take a backseat tomorrow. But I will say, as somebody growing up in Texas, not a big hockey fan, uh, I love watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't get totally involved with a specific team. Uh, I, if Dallas was in it, I would, but they stink. Uh, but I, basketball would have to be far above anything else tomorrow, even though I'm going to be dressed as a derby person tomorrow. All right, so May the 4th is today. Uh, we haven't yes. talked about it yet on the show, but are you a Star Wars person at all? I'm not. I know that's very unpopular for this show, but I am not. I think I've only seen the original one maybe two or three times my entire life, and that's it. So you haven't even seen all the Star Wars movies? No, I haven't. I'm just I I, like, this, this is this is a like conscious decision that you've made to not watch the Star Wars movies because they're such cultural icons. Why have you not watched them? Like, wh- at what point did you make a decision that I just am not interested in watching these? I think that when I was growing up, it wasn't like a big thing for my parents. Maybe like my dad wasn't big into Star Wars, so I never watched the the older ones, other than like I said, the original. So I just never felt the need to see the new ones. Now, I don't go to movies either, which is something that a lot of millennials don't want to do. But it's not that I've said I'm not going to watch it. I just really haven't had the opportunity to watch Nobody I've dated recently likes it either, so it kind of takes that off the table, I guess. But if I should watch it, I'll watch it. I think also this is going to invalidate your Justin Timberlake take for a lot of people because on May the 4th, which is, by the way, a brilliant day that they have basically designed, my boys expect gifts now on May the 4th because of Star Wars Day that they have created this is spectacular. I know you got to go catch a uh, train, have fun in uh, in Boston this weekend, enjoy the Derby and everything else, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Clay. Have fun tomorrow. Yep, we will do. That's Casey Smith. You can go find her on Twitter at K-A-Y-C-E Smith. She works at Barstool, and she is going to be uh, having a good weekend, I imagine, like a lot of you guys. Let's bring in uh, Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports, then I'll bring in the crew. Uh, Casey may be losing a lot of favor there by admitting that she has never watched the Star Wars movies, which to me is crazy to ever have been in that perspective. But maybe there's some of you out there that also are still haters of the Star Wars genre. Uh, what do we got uh, from uh, the world of sports, Eddie Garcia? Well, let's start off with your Geico playoff report. In the NBA playoffs, we had the Cavaliers beating the Raptors 128-110. to LeBron James, another monster game, 43 points and 14 assists. Kevin Love chipped in with 31 points and 11 rebounds. Cleveland's now won eight straight playoff games over Toronto. They lead the series against the number one seed in the East, two games to nothing, having won the first two games on the road. Celtics rally from down 22 points to beat the 76ers 108-103. Jason Tatum, 21 points. Terry Rozier, 20 points. Marcus Smart, 19 points for Boston. They grabbed the 2-0 series lead for Philadelphia. Their Rookie of the Year candidate, Ben Simmons, had a tough game. One point in 31 minutes. He was 0 for 4 from the field. NHL playoffs. Penguins beat the Capitals 3-1. Pittsburgh's Jake Gensel had two goals. He leads the playoffs with 10. That series is tied at 2. Predators over the Jets in Winnipeg 2-1. Nashville goalie Pecorine 32 saves. That series is tied at 2-2. This report is brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And one more note from the NBA. The New York Knicks have a new head coach. It's former Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. 
as he agrees on a four-year deal. Now back to Clay Travis and the Geico Outkick the Coverage Studios. Take that for data. Uh, Take that we, for data. There we go. Uh, coming to you live from the Geico uh, Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Can you- oh, there we go. Whoa, that, that really kind of caught me by surprise there. I was just about to ask this question. Can you remember anything that has been created in our life that is more popular than May the 4th, which is just a totally made-up day that Star Wars has taken over? If you've got kids, like this has turned into like its own little holiday. Maybe Cinco de Mayo. I don't remember Cinco de Mayo being a thing when I was a kid. Maybe May, uh, Cinco de Mayo is actually, even though they're side by side days, maybe the most uh, you know like competitive dates. Otherwise, I can't think of anything that didn't exist when I was a kid that now exists in terms of it's a thing. April twentieth. That that wasn't really a thing when we were kids. You think four twenty? Yeah, the concerts, festivals. It's a national holiday now. All right, maybe. You think that's – I see, I've got kids. So, to me, May the 4th is bigger than 420. But mm. is there is there lots of, uh, you know, business built around it? Like, oh, this, yeah. is, this is genius to create May the 4th. I, I don't know who started it, but they have all these different events around the country now. Um, and now that there's brand-new Star Wars movies coming out all the time, like – my kids would get dressed up. They'll have, you know, like contests for uh, for Star Wars. Maybe, maybe 420. Maybe that's it. There aren't very many of them that just kind of take note and take uh, take root. And I'm always surprised at the number of people who still have never seen the Star Wars movies. Because it's it, to me, even if you are totally anti-sci-fi, and there are a lot of people out there who like just hate sci-fi, how do you avoid something that's this much a part of the cultural firmament and not even watch it at all? I just find that a little bit amazing. Like for somebody like Casey Smith to never have seen the Star Wars movies, it's one thing to not like them. It's of course you're talking to the guy who went on a freaking Star Wars Disney cruise with his family because his kids love it so much. But I do think that's uh, that's kind of wild. Did you stay up last night, by the way, uh, in honor of May the Fourth and watch the late night uh, Preds against Winnipeg game, uh, Jason Martin? I was actually out last night. I watched the Cavs Raptors, and uh, then I had a concert last night, so I was out late. But I didn't end up getting to watch the hockey game as I had hoped to. Um, and then I found out that they won, and I kind of felt like this series was probably destined to go seven. I'm with Morosi. I hope it does. Like it's just so much fun watching these two teams play. I wanted to go tomorrow. I don't have the money to go tomorrow. <laughs> I looked at SeatGeek, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not dropping $300 to sit in the top of Bridgestone Arena. I'll just sit and watch it with my HD on and and enjoy it tomorrow night. But that's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere in prime time here in Nashville in the Music City tomorrow night. I think there's going to be a lot of pretty phenomenal atmospheres. I mean, the fact that the Kentucky Derby is overlapping with Cinco de Mayo is just, to me, like you heard Casey Smith talking about how the, the Cinco de Mayo part that she's going to is also doubling up as a, uh, a Kentucky Derby party. I think it's going to be a mess in lots of places across the country. Is the Derby, like uh, you guys, is the Derby big enough in L.A. that there are Derby parties? Like, have you ever been to a Derby party? I'm sure Cinco de Mayo is going to be a big, big event in L.A. and many other places. But uh, but from the, like, paying it, to, like, in, in Nashville, there are Derby parties everywhere. 
obviously we're not very far from Louisville, so uh, the idea of getting dressed up and going and betting on horses, even though you have no idea what the horses are, is a pretty big deal. But in L.A., is that a big deal? Clay, I would be willing to bet that 85% of my friends don't know that the Kentucky Derby is this weekend. I mean, I don't think that's necessary. I think the Derby is one of those things that you suddenly realize is happening. You know, like you're sitting around and you check Twitter and then you're like, oh yeah, the Derby's happening and you flip it over and you watch it for five minutes and you don't know anything about the horses and you decide that you like a horse based on the way the horse gets put into the gate and then the race happens. And I I would argue, I mean, this to me has always been an interesting point. When you get to go to the Derby, the fact that you can gamble on horse racing is to me always been wild because people are like, oh, you can't gamble legally on the NFL or the NBA but a jockey can totally determine whether his horse wins or loses, and yet we allow gambling to take place, and it's the only reason that horse racing still exists. If you took away gambling from horse racing, the sport would cease to exist. I mean, I'm not even kidding about that. I think the number of people who would pay attention to horse racing if gambling didn't exist would decline by 90%. That's literally the reason that people care about it, and yet we have all these hodgepodge of rules that allow you to gamble on horse racing. And if you gamble on any other sport, it's technically illegal under existing American law. You guys with me? I mean, if you took away gambling from horse racing, there would be no point to almost the sport existing at all. Correct. I mean, what is it? A race takes like two minutes long. It's not all that particularly exciting. Now there's a lot of other issues with treatment of horses and some of the tragic situations we've seen through the years. There's just nothing to sustain it. That's a sport that feels like it's 150 years old that is being propped up by the money that's going through the turnstiles. Yeah, and and what's it's awesome, by the way, if you get the opportunity or the experience to go to Louisville and get to go to the Kentucky Derby, it's definitely a very cool bucket list to kind of cross off. But there's a lot of uh, – you wouldn't even have anything to do if you weren't really gambling because nobody knows anything about the horses. I don't know that there is any American sporting event that happens where more people watch it with no idea what's actually going on. Even if you're not a huge NBA fan or a huge basketball fan in general, you can watch the sport and have a pretty legitimate opinion. Same thing is true of basketball, of baseball, football. I don't know anything about hockey, but I think that's, again, a function of the fact that I never grew up playing hockey. I just kind of enjoy watching the experience. Horse racing is a totally different level. Nobody knows anything uh, in the general population. There'll be whatever the number is, you know, 15 million people watching the Derby tomorrow on NBC and 14.5 million of them will literally not understand the sport at all. It's wild. Uh, all right, final segment of Hour 2. I've got a couple of Animal Thunderdome stories for you. I don't know if the crew does. We may. Uh, should we replay the lion from yesterday? I don't know. Is that too overwhelming? Did we trigger too many people with that? Uh, we'll contemplate that. We'll discuss it. I am Clay Travis. Thank you for spending your Friday morning with us. Uh, final hour, we're scheduled to be joined by Jason Whitlock. We'll see if uh, he hops in. Also, my wife just emailed me. She is writing about the uh, the cheerleader scandal. She's a former NFL cheerleader. She's fired up that, that cheerleading is under siege. Maybe I'll get her to call in. Um, I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning. Pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Good thing is, if you don't have to drop off or pick up anything, all you have to do is go to geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket. It just may be the most rewarding to-do you do today. 
Um, I got a couple of pretty awesome stories here, so let's cue the music, boys. It's Animal Thunderdome time. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. However your day is going today, wherever you may be across our great country, you're probably having a better day than Prabhu Batara because he's dead and you're alive. A taxi driver in the Indian state of Odisha, Prabhu Batara was driving a group home from a wedding when he stopped to take a pee in the woods. Prabhu Batara, everything's going great. He's got his cab full of people coming home from a wedding in the state of Odisha in India. When he decides to relieve himself, he happens to note, what do you know? There's a wounded bear alongside the road. Maybe this bear was hit by a car. Maybe it's just found its way down to the road. And our boy Prabhu Batara thinks to himself, you know what? This would make an incredible selfie. So he approaches the bear. His fellow travelers en route home from the wedding say to Batara, hey, make sure you keep a safe distance from the bear. Prabhu waves them off. This, he says, will make an amazing selfie. Unfortunately for Prabhu, he got too close to the bear as he was taking the selfie. The bear attacked him and mauled him to death in real time. According to the forest ranger, Batara died on the spot. His fellow passengers captured the attack on video as others threw rocks and sticks at the bear in an attempt to free him. A stray dog also tried to fight the bear as it was attacking the man. That's a brave uh, stray dog. There's the bear in the background, but also could not save him. Where does uh, a uh, deciding to take a selfie with a bear and then being mauled to death rank on the dumbest scale of animal-human relations of all time? Pretty highly, but again, a lesson to all of you, in case you needed it, all over the country, do not get so close to a bear during your selfies that the bear then mauls you to death that is a pretty incredible outcome unfortunately taking us into the weekend mm. a, a rough death, time Clay? for Prabhu a death into the, the weekend a Friday death, death from you death into the weekend and I think this is too aggressive because the guy died I don't think we can play the audio of the attack but it's pretty insane oh, can you retweet it uh yes yes um, I will definitely retweet that so you can find me on Twitter at Clay Travis if you want to watch a man be attacked by a bear while he tries to take a selfie Jason Martin what have you got for me I've got an interesting story that takes us back to cocaine hippos. U.S. Border Patrol agents found a tiger cub in a bag abandoned by individuals trying to illegally enter the country at the Texas border. The male tiger cub was not dead. It was just unconscious. It had been sedated inside a black duffel bag, according to U.S. Customs and Border Protection. When they realized agents were nearby, the individuals then fled back to Mexico and left the duffel bag, leaving the cub behind in their escape. It was about several months old. It's now at a local zoo. It is recovering, expected to be absolutely fine. But as you continue to read the story, 
we've talked about this before. It has become quite a lucrative industry in Mexico, according to the BBC. And, quote, drug traffickers often keep imported animals on their ranches, unquote. So this is not normal. And I was thinking about, all right, you're trying to bring this exotic animal over the border and bring it into America. Who are you taking that to? Like, I don't know what the market is. I don't know who's buying Bengal tigers. I know there was a dude like six months ago, a teenager was sentenced to six months in prison. He tried to smuggle a six-week-old Bengal cub out of Mexico back here, and it wasn't ever really determined what exactly he was trying to do with it. What do you think these people, like, who were they selling this to? It seems like the people you would want to sell the cub to, you would be selling to drug dealers in Latin America, right? Uh, it's got to be drug dealers in America. I just I assume every time that a tiger is being smuggled into the United States or any country that a drug dealer wants it. I just I can't imagine who else wants a tiger. It's the same thing when we started talking about the hippo and there's just a random hippo wandering around in Mexico. I assume it has to be in some way connected to the drug trade because the cost. It's like when we talked to the lady who did the cocaine hippos documentary. Think about the cost of renting a plane just to fly an elephant to your compound that's insane levels of money that's stupid levels of wealth and probably it's all cash based you know somebody's just like okay here's five hundred thousand dollars go get me an elephant and fly it back in into this plane and so it has to be drug dealers because they're the ones with that kind of cash that's that, that has to be the answer so just a question I, I have no idea whether or not you'll be able to estimate this or not this is sort of a random question but i happen to have the information from the report in front of me the illegal animal industry globally and you can kind of speculate as to what all that would encompass what do you think in terms of money generated annually illegal animal industry globally generates is, does that count dead animals like ivory tusk and uh, so i'm assuming and, so and like you know certain fishes and animals or whatever that aren't supposed to be killed that are become delicacies uh, in different countries I'm I would going say to, so I'm going to guess that this is a 200 billion dollar industry oh well you under you you went well you well overcut uh, overshot it it was between seven and 23 billion according to the report so maybe it doesn't include those because you were you were way off there I thought you might undercut it or be kind of close but I would think not 200 between I, seven and 23 I would think if you factor in all of the illegal fishing and all of the uh, you know the ivory trade and everything else given how massive it is but I, I honestly have no idea how to how to, how to come up with a number did but you I would guys think both say billion massive. you both said billion with a B yeah oh yeah yes. definitely wow. billions. You think millions? No, well, no. I I was thinking maybe a couple of billion. I didn't think a couple hundred billion. I thought it'd be huge. I mean, the world is a massive place. In case you're wondering, right? I'm thinking it's just trafficked wildlife. I'm thinking it's probably not okay. the delicacies like, and stuff. I'm saying just trafficked wildlife. Just and and live I, again. It gets into whether or not it's alive wildlife or not. If it's dead wildlife, I think it's even bigger. Yeah, we'll continue probably. to break down the biggest stories in the world of sports. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Final hour of the week up next. Thanks for hanging with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. If you're waking up across the country this morning, as many of you may be, hope your Friday is going fantastically well. Thanks for spending it with us. want to hit you with a couple of... The big takeaways from the night in sports. One, this is an early start. It was barely uh, the evening in sports if you're on the East Coast. The 
unbelievably, Toronto Raptors have completely collapsed. I tried to defend Canada. It was a rough night last night for Canada. The Raptors lose to go down 0-2, having lost their first two home playoff games. And the Winnipeg Jets lose at home in a game where they were trying to strangle control of the Western Conference semifinals. Instead, they'll come back to Nashville on Cinco de Mayo, tied up at two games apiece. So that was a pretty brutal one-two punch for Canada. One team left in the uh, in the NBA, and they are basically done. One team left in hockey, and they are uh, perilous now, as every single series is. Now, we talked about this. Uh, and also, by the way, the Boston Celtics continued their magical run under Brad Stevens to go up 2-0. And the Washington Capitals could not seize control completely of their series, and so we are tied at two games apiece in the Capitals and the Penguins series. So we talked about this after round one. I understand the NBA is more popular than the NHL, but the playoffs go head-to-head. Round one of the NBA playoffs was better than round one of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. And usually... That's not the case. One of the big selling points for hockey is anything can happen in our sport, therefore you need to pay pay attention to every round. Whereas in the NBA, typically there aren't a lot of upsets. Well, round one in the NBA was better, I would say, than round one was in hockey. I would say right now, for those of you who are paying attention to both, and I certainly am paying attention to both, the NHL is set up to be better in round two than the NBA. Jason Martin, are you with me that the NBA... The early season, I mean, the early part of round two in the NBA. The Pelicans and Warriors series does not seem like it's going to be very interesting at all. It's possible that this Raptors and Cavs series is not going to be very interesting at all, that the Raptors are going to uh, lose in uh, in four games. I mean, we'll see what happens with them going back to Cleveland. We don't know, because the Celtics have not yet won a road game, whether that series is over. But I think the Celtics winning both of those games makes you think maybe this is not going to go six or seven. Although, to be fair, we'll have to wait and see. Maybe the Sixers and Ben Simmons, who only scored one point, are going to bounce back and play great uh, over a long weekend headed into Monday. And they will be able to actually get uh, get back even at 2-2. And you don't buy in, at least. We talked earlier about this. Some of you may or may not. To the Jazz being able to go up either at worst 2-2 Uh, or potentially win both these games against the Rockets and go up 3-1. So would you agree with me that the NHL right now, given that every series is likely to be 2-2 before all is said and done, is likely to be better in round two than the NBA? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I'm enjoying round two of the NBA to some extent. I mean, I thought the game two of Pelicans-Warriors was great. It was a really entertaining game. The Warriors are just a better team. But the Pelicans aren't going away. They're playing with a lot of heart. Last night, that was embarrassing for Toronto. Toronto, if they can come and win Game 3, that makes Game 4 of that series really intriguing. If by some miracle they were able to win both of those games, then it really gets interesting. I just don't think that it's going to happen. I don't buy into the Jazz like you just said, but I don't buy into the Rockets past this round, which I've said for months. But... We'll see. You never know. But in terms of the NHL, Caps-Penguins is just always great. I've watched as much of that as I possibly can this year, just like I do every any, time any, that series anything, is played. Anything can happen in that series. I think it's fair to say that anything can happen in the Golden Knights. The Vegas storyline is pretty fantastic yep. against San Jose. Anything can happen in Preds-Jets. And yep. uh, the other series, Tampa Bay and Boston, it's been pretty hard to predict what's going to yeah. happen in that series, too. 
Yeah, that's the only one that I haven't really been able to get fully invested in. That's just because I don't know those teams nearly as well. I mean, I've watched a good bit of it, but I haven't watched it like I've watched some of these other series. I would watch Vegas-San Jose like crazy if it wasn't on so late. It just It's so difficult for, for us to be able to watch that. But, I mean, you had a seven-goal explosion for Vegas, and then you had a four-goal explosion for San Jose. So, I mean, they're just going back and forth, back and forth. And I think that hockey lends itself to this. That's why the hockey playoffs, to me, are arguably, when you really get down to it, maybe the best in all of the playoff sports because because it's on ice, because it's a puck, there's so much. Sometimes there's luck involved. Sometimes there's crazy bounces involved. There's just that. I think that the sport itself is unpredictable because of what it's played on. And just how difficult it is to even understand while you're watching it what the puck is going to do from one second to the next, even when it's coming off of the stick of some of the greatest players we've ever seen. So that, I think, really does make it more intriguing. We can kind of see what's going to happen in a basketball game. Hockey, you never know because ice, to me, is so unpredictable. Not only that, goalies get hot. You don't know when a goalie is going to get hot and just completely change the concept of a series because he may be getting 30 or 40 shots taken at him, but if he doesn't allow the puck pass, like, okay, you're going to win. And I don't know what causes a goalie to get hot. It just kind of gets into a rhythm and then starts to build off of everything uh, surrounding it. Last night, if you were up late watching that that game between the Predators and the the Jets – Pekka Rene got hot. I don't even understand it. I don't understand much at all about hockey, but I know that Pekka Rene was playing phenomenally well. He didn't give up but one goal, and that was on a power play 6-4 to four after they pulled the goalie with 50 seconds left last night. Uh, what about you guys? Would you agree that I know Southern California is devoid of, uh, of hockey teams now, but would you agree that the way this is set up, and by the way, the, uh, the Bruins are favored to beat the Lightning tonight. That's the early game going off at uh, 7 o'clock Eastern. If that happens then every NHL playoff series will be tied at two games apiece. They're a little bit ahead of where the NBA is, but that would mean theoretically that anything could happen and that everybody would be playing a game five to try to seize control of the series in a tied-up 2-2 series. Whereas in the NBA, I think you can make an argument that we're close to three of these series not mattering at all, and if the Rockets bounce back and play like we expected them to play in game two, uh, against the Jazz, that series could still not end up being that competitive in the grand scheme of things. So how many do you think will actually end up being competitive in the NBA? And do you buy into my my theory that the NHL is in a much better spot right now with their four series than the NBA is? Yeah, well, it's hard to argue against. I personally don't start watching NHL play until the Stanley Cup final. I'm just a casual fan, and, and you've mentioned this before. For a lot of us on the West Coast, we didn't grow up playing hockey. Oh, so it, the vast majority of people in this country, I would say, have never been on ice skates. Yeah, I think it, I've been on skates maybe once or twice my entire life, and I almost died both times. Yeah, I mean, I understand if you're from Canada or you live in the north, uh, you know, the Midwest or somewhere where the Northeast, where it gets cold enough for there to be ice. Ice is a bad thing where I live, and it means that you're not going to be able to drive a car, and it means that you were hoping it was going to snow, and instead you ended up with uh, with a uh, awful ice storm. And so I understand why hockey has like a much smaller fan base than basketball, which everybody has played, and football and baseball, which everybody has played. Yeah. But the sheer enjoyment, and again, I, I readily admit, I have no ability whatsoever to break down why somebody is going to win a hockey game versus why they're not. Uh, compared to every other sport that I've spent my life watching. 
but it's pretty damn entertaining just to sit back and watch and try to figure out what's going to happen. So, as what about you, Justin Cooper? Are you with uh, Are you with me that these series, like to the extent you care, the NHL is wide open. Anything could happen. He's actually in the studio next door editing something for us. But what does he have? What's he editing? Uh, I'm not sure. I'll, we'll find I'm excited out. About for this. Fox Sports Radio or for us? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so we'll, he just bails. We'll, we'll, doesn't we'll say anything. Out. Just abandons ship. It's not 4:20, Justin. It's 5:4. It he's Clay. starting. He's starting Cinco de Mayo early. Well, Clay, I wanted to ask you this question, anyways, because I, I mean, I know what you're saying about the NBA as far as you think you can already see who's going to be in the conference final. Not even that. But, I think the Warriors are going to win the series and uh, right. win the, the title, and but, I think it's going to be in like five games. Okay, but correct. In Boston, right. they're chanting, "He's a rookie." Of course, there was all that that, that little dust up with Ben Simmons uh, earlier. What I mean, just before the season ended, where they were asking him about other rookies, and he was like, "No, yeah, he was just a big douche about it because he wants Rookie of the Year." And everybody's opinion, a lot of people's opinion, is, "Hey, dude, you've been on the Celtics roster and getting paid for two seasons. You're not exactly a rookie." Now, Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell, yep. two standout players in the playoffs right now, and you could argue that Jason Tatum is playing the best out of the three of these guys. The rookie of the year, it, it, shouldn't it be between Donovan Mitchell and Jason Jason Tatum? Yeah, but didn't Ichiro, I mean, this is my thing, didn't Ichiro win rookie of the year after he'd been a pro-Japanese baseball player for like a decade? That's baseball, though. Yeah, but I they mean... would that, never that, do that in the NFL. The, 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 the rookie of the year concept to me is uh, is a little bit ridiculous um, in the way that we define it. Okay, I think but, but just in general, don't you think underrated it's, movie, though. it's exciting, yeah. <laughs> it's exciting <laughs> to see who's got next in the NBA, though? I mean, we... We literally, we're seeing Jalen Brown, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Tatum, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Terry Rozier. So it just seems like we got a really good crop of youngsters in the NBA playoffs right now. I think Whitlock's right. I think Whitlock's right in what he said. I think he really contextualized this well when he was on Wednesday, and I agree. Like, I think we know the finals are probably going to be a dud. Look, the Warriors are just better than everybody else. We know this. When they're at full strength... Nobody can touch what they're able to do. Nobody can move the ball the way that they do. Even the good defensive teams just don't have enough to stop what they can do offensively. So then you look at the Rockets and you say, well, can the Rockets outscore them? I just don't believe consistently they can, and I think they'll get into their heads, meaning the Warriors, and the Rockets will devolve into Chris Paul, who's never really had success, and James Harden, who has shrunk in a finals and shrunk in a, in a closeout game against an undermanned Spurs team last year. So I don't think the finals are interesting, but I am enjoying the playoffs. And so I'm, I'm enjoy, I enjoyed the first round immensely. I'm still enjoying the storylines right now and what's going on. So I'm getting my money's worth as a basketball fan right now, despite the fact that I feel like what we're about to see is pretty much predetermined. Yeah, this is going in with our conversation yesterday on the spoilers. Um, if you know how a story is going to end, it makes the story itself a lot less interesting to me because, and, and I feel like we know how this story is going to end. It's going to end with the Golden State Warriors hoist, hoisting the championship trophy. And I don't, I can't tell you right now what's going to happen in the NHL. I mean, I think any of the eight teams that are remaining right now have a legitimate case to be made. If you're a fan of them, my team could end up with a championship. There are eight teams remaining right now in the NBA. I would be stunned if the Golden State Warriors, assuming they get they don't get injured, right? I mean, there's always the possibility, given what happened with Steph, like Steph Curry and Kevin Durant could run into each other, bang knees, and they're both out for the rest of the playoffs, right? All of those things are, are possibilities, 
But assuming that we have like a general normal health situation in the NBA, the Warriors are going to win the title. And if you know how a story is going to end, to me it makes the story process playing out a lot less interesting. Uh, NBA playoffs, you get in, the Warriors are going to win. NFL playoffs, anything theoretically could happen. You make the NFL playoffs. Anything certainly could happen in Major League Baseball. And we know, like we were just talking about in hockey, even the World Cup that's going to happen this summer, there are a lot of wide-open opportunities in terms of who's going to actually be able to win the championship. When you know the Warriors are going to be hoisting that trophy, I think beyond uh, any kind of craziness that might happen, it really, to me, implicates the overall enjoyment of the sport itself. And by the way, it's not like the Warriors are going to be getting worse. The one thing I can say that would be a positive is if the Celtics can come back next year healthy, then I do think the NBA season gets a lot more interesting because for the first time in a long time, you have an Eastern Conference team with a tremendous amount of talent that's poised to go up against whichever team emerges from the West. I think they're going to be better in the future because they weren't going to win this year. I think it's almost better that the injuries happen now because now you've got Tatum and you've got Brown and you've got these guys that now have realized that they're really good. So they're going to be much better and much more confident because of what they did this year, and then they're going to get the stars back next year. I look at Boston, and I say Boston's about to become the new San Antonio Spurs. They've got the new Greg Popovich on the sideline, and I think that they're going to have the system in place, and they're going to have some stars come back, but they're going to have these role players, these guys that are gritty, tough, that play smart basketball, play hard defense. They are the new San Antonio Spurs. I believe the Spurs are about done. I'm not even sure Popovich is going to come back. If he does, I don't think he's going to be there for very long. The Kawhi Leonard thing is a problem. I think the Celtics are about to become that on in the East and potentially for the entire NBA. Does that make LeBron's decision about where he's going to go mean that he's going to leave the East? Because I would you agree that it's going to be hard? LeBron James's best option if he stays in the East is going to be to join the Philadelphia 76ers, right? I mean that that's a, a I don't think there's any doubt at all that if you were advising LeBron James right now, you say LeBron, you're going to be 34 years old. If you stay with the Cavs, the Sixers are going to get better going into next season. Those guys are going to get older. The number of games where Ben Simmons shows up and scores one point are going to continue to diminish. The Sixers are on the upward trajectory. The Celtics are going to be infinitely better. I don't think anybody would argue that at all if you look at the Mm -hmm. success level that they have had. So if you were advising LeBron James, to me, I'm saying if you want to stay in the East and compete for a chance to go to the NBA Finals and play against the best team in the West, you have to go to the Sixers. Otherwise, I think both of those teams are potentially likely to eclipse you. And that's not even considering a team like the Pacers, which is clearly on the upswing. I won't even mention the Raptors because it's clear that LeBron owns the Raptors. But that would be my advice in the East. My advice in the West would be the only team that I think salary cap-wise could really work, assuming that LeBron's trying to make a lot of money, is probably the Rockets. So I would advise him you have two real options if your goal is to win a championship. Go to the Rockets or go to the 76ers. Now, if your goal is just to make a lot of money and get attention, then obviously the Lakers are out there as a possibility. You get Paul George there. You guys can be decent. I mean, you'll be a playoff team, but you're nowhere near one of the top teams in the West. That a pretty good analysis of where we are if you break down the situation on May 4th, that if you're advising LeBron, stay in the East, you have to go to the Sixers. If you go to the West, I think that probably Houston is the best goal, unless you just decide to drive everybody truly insane, which would be pretty amazing to see, and take a much reduced deal and go join the Golden State Warriors and just say, hey, we're going to win three more titles so I can equal Jordan, maybe four more, 
and I'm just going to join this dynasty of a team and kill the NBA process because there's not even going to be a contest anymore. Would that be advice? You're, I'm going to ask each of you guys. You are LeBron James's advisor. Is that a fair approximation of his situation right now? Yeah, pretty much. He's got to leave Cleveland. There's no question about that at this stage. Like, there's, Assuming there's he wants no to win a title. It. Exactly. He just yes. doesn't I mean, want to finish yeah. his career in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, he, he just uh, there's just not – this is the worst team he's had since Mo Williams was his second banana. And he's carried a lot of teams. He's done stuff that I don't think any other NBA player has ever been asked to do. But he can't do it for very much longer, and it looks like he's growing tired of doing it. Now his guys are showing up for him a little bit, but he can never count from day to day on anybody showing up. Have you ever seen a star that's been on a team that's been at this level and has carried teams this far where he can never step on the court and say, that guy's going to get me 30 tonight? He never knows if JR is going to go off or if Kevin Love is going to go off or if you know George Hill is going to make a couple of threes or if Corver's going to be there for him. He has no clue what's going to happen from time to time. So yes, he absolutely has to leave and I think Philadelphia is the only place in the East he can go that gives him a reasonable shot and puts him in the right position to be able to do that or he needs to go to the West and those options are fairly limited as well. You with me, Danny G, is there anything that I'm missing? I know uh, you're a Lakers guy, yeah. but I mean, you, you would have to acknowledge there's no way you can build a championship caliber Lakers team for next year. Yeah, you're right. The youngsters on the Lakers, they still need a few more seasons of seasoning. So I mean, the only chance the Lakers would have would be if LeBron, you know, stayed with the Lakers for what, three, four years, and then maybe the fourth season, his last one, he takes them deep, deep, you know, maybe to the NBA Finals. But other than that, if he just wants to win immediately, you're right. But the one thing that came to mind, if Jason's correct about the Boston Celtics and they're about to become the new powerhouse of the East, would LeBron then consider maybe taking a pay cut and join, say, a team with a brand-new arena in San Francisco? Uh, you know, because it would be their powerhouse oh, it against be, their power, powerhouse. Well, it would also be that yeah. the, the, the LeBron, if LeBron's trying to make the single decision that would drive everyone insane, <laughs> yeah. joining the Golden yeah. State Warriors would be it. Could you, could you imagine? the league. It really would. Twitter would shut down that day. I mean, Durant, well, all- Durant leaving nearly broke the NBA. It nearly broke the model of the NBA. If LeBron were to join the Warriors, like all that you would need, there would not even need to be an NBA.com. You would just have Warriors.com, and then there would be a schedule for the rest of the league at Warriors.com. And that would be it, because that would be your entire NBA. No yeah. offense to the Celtics, as great as they were, nobody would have a shot in hell against LeBron joining that Warriors team. Yeah, it would definitely destroy the league. I mean, I, I don't even think there's any doubt. It'd be one team. I, I don't even know. It's it's almost like the, the Harlem Globetrotters and the other 29 teams would be the Washington Generals. All right, I got to tell you, Mother's Day, next weekend, are you prepared? Maybe you're like me and you've got to take care of not only yourself but also your wife because your kids are too young. Make sure that you don't blow it. Pro Flowers will hook you up for Mother's Day. Seven days of fresh, beautiful flowers. Right now, my listeners can send 100 colorful blooms with a free glass vase for just $19.99 plus shipping and handling with my promo code OUTKICK. That's proflowers.com, my promo code OUTKICK. Fresh flowers, guaranteed delivery, unique vases and accessories that mom will love. ProFlowers has everything you need to get your Mother's Day shopping done for all the moms you know. Just choose the delivery date you want, and it's guaranteed. You can even get your gift delivered on Mother's Day, May 13th. The only way to get 100 colorful blooms 
with a free glass vase starting at $19.99 is to visit proflowers.com. Click on the blue microphone in the upper right corner and use my code OUTKICK. That's proflowers.com, code OUTKICK. Up next, it's Jason Whitlock. This, OutKick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Notorious B.I.G. bringing us back. Friday edition, I'll keep the coverage. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. We're going to go to Jason Whitlock here in a sec, but first let me make sure, get the update, what's shaking Eddie Garcia. Well, Clay, we'll start with the Geico playoff report. In the NBA playoffs, Cavaliers down the Raptors 128-110. to LeBron James, 43 points, 14 assists. As Cleveland now takes a 2-0 series lead against the top seed in the East, they win both of the first two games on the road. Celtics rally from down 22 points to beat the 76ers, 108-103. For Philadelphia, their rookie of the year candidate, Ben Simmons, struggled with one point in 31 minutes. Boston has the 2-0 series lead. NHL playoffs, Penguins beat the Capitals 3-1. That series is tied at 2-2, and the Predators knock off the Jets in Winnipeg 2-1. That series is tied at 2-2. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing. Not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And one note from baseball, future Hall of Famer Ichiro Suzuki is done playing for this season and likely for the rest of his career, although they're not saying retirement. He's going to be a special assistant to the team and a coach for the rest of the year. Uh, former Rookie of the Year, MVP in the American League, won a couple of batting titles, 10-time All-Star. So Ichiro Suzuki, uh, for now, not playing in baseball. All right, good stuff as always, Eddie Garcia. Have a good weekend rolling into the weekend. We got Jason Whitlock with us at Whitlock Jason. Saw his segment yesterday uh, on Speak for Yourself, and I said, man, this is great for radio. Also should be a book. But I want to start, and I'm continuing to press him on the fact that he needs to write this as a book. I want to start before you get into your overall thesis, which I think is going to blow people's minds, and they need to be uh, ready to to be educated here to start the day. Thanks for getting up early with us out in L.A. Uh, Your story, where were you when you signed your scholarship to go to Ball State? Uh, Me and my dad were living in Indianapolis, in a you know one bedroom, four hundred square foot apartment in you know in the hood in Indianapolis, uh, you know we were on our ass. My my father, small businessman, uh, had had his business shut down, and you know we were, you know we were at the bottom. We were in poverty, no question about it. Where would you have been if football didn't exist? Where would you be right now if you had not had the opportunity to play football? I, I certainly, I don't think I ever would have went to college. I, you know, I was a good high school student. Not even, you know, I probably graduated high school with a two point eight, two point nine. I think I scored around a nine hundred on the SAT. I, I was no one's. You know, great student, no colleges were after me. And I certainly wasn't in a position where my parents were going to send me to college. And so I probably would have eventually started working at my dad's bar because eventually he reopened another bar. Uh, and so I would have followed in my dad's footsteps and probably been some kind of uh, entrepreneur, uh, 
you know, in in Indianapolis, a small business entrepreneur in, in you know, in the black community, that's probably the lane I would have gone. I would have never gone to college. Uh, but football provided me that opportunity. I was, you know, a hell of a high school athlete. And, you know, football provided me a pathway to college and to elevate my status uh, in America. And, I, you know, a lot of my friends uh, from college and just, you know, knowing a lot of athletes have traveled a similar path. Uh, you know, football was our opportunity to elevate. This is why I think you need to write the book. Uh, and, and I've got a book coming out in September, and it touches a little bit on this. But I think your story is really compelling, and you made it really cogently. You can go check the, the essay that Jason did uh, on uh, my Twitter feed, certainly at his Twitter feed as well, at Whitlock Jason. But you make a really persuasive case that what has advanced the status of black Americans in, uh, in America is sports more so than almost anything else. Make your case for people out there. We have no historical knowledge as a country. This is a problem in general. We also don't have that much of a historical knowledge about sports in general either. Everything is so immediate nowadays that kids have to react to the latest LeBron James game every single time. Make your case for why sports has led to the full flourishment of black people in America. Well, you know, I think since the Civil War uh, and and post-Civil War is when the rise of sports became very important in America. For It started with prize fighting and boxing, and then it, baseball, and, and then eventually basketball, football, and other things. Sports play such an important role in American society. And if you really understand the history of sports and the history of black America, the first black national hero where all of America was like, oh man, that black dude did something great and we're going to celebrate it the entire country. You could have been the biggest bigot in the world, but when Jesse Owens went to Berlin in 1936 and embarrassed Hitler and dominated those Olympics, he became a national hero. And that was the first time that a black man was across the board a national hero in America. Two years later, Joe Lewis in 1938 has a rematch with Max Schmeling, the German boxer, biggest, most important fight, I believe, in boxing history. Joe Lewis knocks him out in the first round, another blow to Hitler and white supremacy, and Joe Lewis becomes a national hero that all of America celebrates. These are the first steps in opening America's mind to the possibility like, oh, man, black people can be a major part of our success story. And then you come a few years later, nine years later, 1947, uh, the the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers and Branch Rickey, they signed Jackie Robinson, and he integrates Major League Baseball, which at this time Major League Baseball is America's national pastime. And, ja- and Jackie Robinson opened black people's mind and inspired black people to start the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s. 
We don't fully understand the importance of sports and America's love of athletes and what that does in terms of opening people's minds to uh, to minorities and to black people and our struggle and 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 it I tie those three events together with America going and some people in America uh saying you know what America would be better if we allowed black people to participate in our democracy in in full and so again I, I, yeah, I, I'm not suggesting that those guys are more important than Martin Luther King and but those guys inspired Martin Luther King and if we fully understood the role of sports and what it has done for us as African Americans I think we would have more reverence for it and I think we would be more protective of it because I, I, I look at African Americans right now and there's this growing narrative that football and the NFL is evil and racist and oh my god Colin Kaepernick can't find a job therefore we hate football and I'm like whoa 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 <laughs> wait a minute well, when you understand cuz guys like me and the overwhelming majority of people who play football never get a whiff of a professional career and they're like me it it, it you have a chance at the division 1 2 3 level to get transported to a college campus and have your life transformed from that day forward, whether you play in the NFL or not. It sparked my journalism career. And my journalism career in the lane of sports has allowed me to do things for my family that I never would have been able to do, to do things for the church that I grew up in in Indianapolis that I would have never been able to do without sports. And so I'm looking at us as 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 black people and just like I want to question you we're all into particularly young people what they call the culture and 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 we're very defensive of the culture this loosely defined collective voice over social media that is you know super woke and and the culture is the greatest thing and my argument is like no 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 sports culture is so far superior and helpful to us as black people, we need to have more respect and be more protective of that. We can't allow Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed to tear down football and to go to war with football when football has been so beneficial to us. And and so th- there's a much larger war, in my opinion, going on against football than just Kaepernick. And, and I think as African-Americans, we need to be in tune with that and, and really – decide do we really want to see football torn down less opportunities in football when there's so many black boys growing up without fathers and we don't seem to understand that football puts men in their lives and leaders in their lives and role models i know so many guys that would have never made it through high school if not for football football was their interest in going to school i know guys like me that went off to college and it was really driven by football. And then over the course of five years, I was educated and really got an understanding of the importance of a higher education, learned a skill, learned a profession. 
And it, when I moved into an adulthood, that's when I really, really appreciated my college opportunity and what it's done for me. But football was the key in getting me there. I know you said so much there. Uh, and again, I would encourage you guys to go watch this uh, this segment that uh, that Whitlock did on uh, Speak for Yourself. Really intelligent discussion. When I hear all of this, what I think too as well, I think there is a war on football going on. I think there's a certain segment of the population out there, and I think it's more expansive than just football too. I think masculinity yep. to a certain extent is under siege. Um, and no I think there are lots of people that see anything hyper-masculine as bad. And I think football is hyper-masculine, right? I mean, I think for, for everybody out there who's watching us right now, one of the reasons you like it is because it is a, a sport played by the toughest, baddest guys out there. I think hockey has a certain element of that, too. I think in general, masculinity is under siege. Why do you think masculinity is under siege? And I think I think you're right that football is a huge part of that. I think it's a way that they are trying. Like, I've been arguing this for a long time. The people defending Colin Kaepernick the most, they don't like football. Go look at those protests. There is no way on earth that the people who are showing up protesting Colin Kaepernick really are going to sit down and watch football all day on Sunday. They are activists using football as an opportunity to make the case that they care about. Why do you think manhood in many ways is under siege right now? Well, I think globally, not just in America, uh, women are justifiably rising up and want better treatment and want a better opportunity. I, I get it. But I don't think the solution is the destruction of man. I think the solution is for man to be more in tune with uh, what we've done to women to make them feel like they're not full participants in in, in our society and we need to make room for them. But they also need to make and make sure that in allowing them in uh, our full participation uh, in the global society that they allow room for us to continue to be men. And so I get the feminist movement and why uh, it feels like women globally have been treated really unfairly. I just think we've gone a little bit overboard with the solution, and we need to find a way. There's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity. And so I would like to have a discussion about how can we be responsibly masculine. I don't want the destruction of masculinity. I want it to be more responsible and less abusive and less predatory towards non-masculine people. But I think right now we're at a point where masculinity is trying to be destroyed, and I think it's hard. And, you know, I think that it leads to a counter-movement of hyper-masculinity, and that's why I believe we have a reality television star in the White House right now who is hyper-masculine. I think it's why rap music, which is cartoonishly masculine, I think it's why it's 
so popular because if you try to destroy masculinity, there's there's always going to be an equal and opposite reaction to whatever is done. And so people then become attracted to hyper-masculinity because it's under attack. So, again, I, I, I think I get why masculinity is being attacked. I don't agree with it. I think we need to move towards responsible masculinity. Uh, and, and I think that we as black men in particular, as a, and this is why I'm just so defensive about football, football has been such a great path for us that I'm very worried about football being destroyed and taken away from kids and, you know, you can only play it once you're 14. Well, you can lose kids. And, again, so many kids are attracted to education and being in school and uh, just the, the physical participation, the exercise of being in football. So many benefits for kids being involved in football that I'm very concerned if we take it away and you can only play it at age 14. We're going to lose so many kids before the age of 14 that never have that male role model and never get that responsible person that's leading them. We're just going to lose too many kids if we just wash football away. This is outstanding. Uh, Jason Whitlock, uh, thank you for getting up so early with us. Uh, we blew through a break because I wanted to make sure we got all this in. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you getting up with us. And uh, and uh, people can find you on Twitter at Whitlock. Jason, we'll talk to you again next week, I'm sure. Have a great weekend. And uh, thank you for preaching this morning. Thank you. That is Jason Whitlock at Whitlock Jason. Final segment of the week up next. You got you got a sermon there, and I think a lot of you probably really enjoyed uh, the preaching. Um, man, there's a lot of truth to that. We'll break it down a little bit. Uh, final segment of the show up next, and we got a fun NBA story, plus updated odds on who's going to be able to win the titles in the NBA and the NHL. All that still to come. I'm Clay Travis. I'll get the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. This is how we do it. It's Friday night, and I feel alright. The party's here on the west side, so I reach for my 40 and I turn it up. Designated driver, take the keys to my truck. Geico Outkick Studios, final segment of the week. Montel Jordan bringing us back. Let's have some fun. Price is right. Never know whose mom is going to end up on the show, and uh, we've got a great audio clip, I believe. Who is this, Danny G? I, I saw the headline, but I can't remember whose mom it is. This Patrick is Beverly? Uh, Clipper, the star Clippers player, Patrick Beverly's mother. Yes. All right. This is her on The Price is Right this week. You have one roll left. You can try to roll that 1500 bucks again and or get that car. Yes. Going to roll it? Yes. Going to roll it? Yes. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. One more chance for that car. All she needs is a car symbol. Let's go, 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 go. She got a car. She got a car. Go get it. That was a good win, man. Uh, that is pretty outstanding. Patrick Beverly's mom, big win. She won two cars and forty grand on uh, on the prices right Ooh, yesterday. And a trip. And nice. a trip to where? Do we know? Uh, I didn't read where the trip. I was think to. I'm sure her son can probably take care of her on a free trip as well. <laughs> well, he tweeted he Patrick Beverly at uh, Pat Bev 21. Mom's one Price Is Right is lit. Let me hold one of those cars, Mama. <laughs> 
play, assuming, assuming, assuming that Price is Right is number one, what would be number two in your list of game shows you'd like to win? Uh, I would like to be on Celebrity Jeopardy. I'd like to get famous enough to go on Celebrity Jeopardy. I don't want to go on Real Jeopardy. I think I'd get dunked on nowadays. But I think I could do pretty well against the normal dumb people who are famous. Like, I think I could do pretty well. So I'd like to go on Celebrity Jeopardy. I think that would be fun. I'd like to do Will of Fortune. I'd like to do them all. I'd also like to do the weather one day. Lots of dreams out there. Enjoy the uh, Kentucky Derby. Uh, Outstanding uh, week of shows. Appreciate all of you. Thanks to Jason Whitlock. Go tell him you enjoyed it as well. And uh, good luck with the NBA and the NHL games. It's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. Enjoy the weather. It's finally warm across the country. I'm Clay Travis. We have had a tremendous week with you all. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you back on Monday here on Outkick, the coverage. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare hey it's jonas knox all right game off we got to pause here to talk more about monopoly go i know what you're saying flag on the play you already talked about that but there's just so much good stuff in this game in monopoly go you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards the more you win together the more awesome prizes you unlock and there's so much to get unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on!